Welcome to The Catholic Perspective, a podcast brought to you by rcspirituality.org. Enjoy the episode. Purgatory. The word conjures up vivid imagery. Some people associate it with the Dark Ages, with the supposed fears and ignorance of medieval superstition. Purgatory. It can make us shiver. It's a topic many people would rather skip over. In this conference, we will try to dispel those irrational feelings by clarifying what this doctrine and the related doctrine of indulgences really means. The lives of the saints are full of references to purgatory. St. Catherine of Genoa wrote a whole treatise on it called The Fire of Love. Many saints have been given visions of the souls in purgatory, visions that inspired them to pray for those souls and to do penance for them and to practice virtue more energetically in order to avoid having to pass through those painful precincts themselves. And the official teaching of the Church has always agreed with the saints' experiences. The existence of purgatory is no medieval invention. It is an article of faith, a truth revealed by God and officially taught by the Church. It was common practice from the very beginning of the Church to offer prayers for the souls of the dead and to celebrate the Eucharist for their benefit, a practice that would make no sense without purgatory. In the 4th century, St. Cyril of Jerusalem was already referring to this practice as a long-standing tradition when he wrote about the prayers of the Mass. We pray for the Holy Fathers and bishops who have fallen asleep, and in general, for all who have fallen asleep before us, in the belief that it is a great benefit to the souls on whose behalf the supplication is offered. The Bible, too, supports the doctrine of purgatory, although it doesn't mention the word explicitly. 2 Maccabees chapter 12, verse 46, for example, explains how Judas Maccabeus made atonement for the dead that they might be delivered from their sin. St. Paul also makes allusion to purgatory in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when he discusses the judgment that comes after death. He writes, The day which dawns in fire will make it clear, and the fire itself will test the quality of each person's work. The one whose work is burnt down will suffer the loss of it, though he himself will be saved. He will be saved as someone might expect to be saved from a fire. The implication is clear. For some souls, purification after death will be necessary before they can enter heaven. The Bible, the constant teaching and practice of the Church, the experience of the saints, all these clearly affirm the existence of purgatory. But what exactly is purgatory? And what does it have to do with our lives here and now? Heavenly Rehab One spiritual writer has explained purgatory with a memorable image. Imagine that a young man leaves home to go off and fight in a war. He has gone for a long time, and when he finally returns, his clothes are tattered, he's half-starved, he is caked with mud and covered with blood, his head is bandaged, both his legs are broken, and one arm is in a homemade sling. But he is alive, 
and he has made his way home. Will he go right into the dining room where the family is having a birthday dinner? No. He's not yet fit for such a celebration, and he wouldn't even want to make an appearance in his unpleasant condition. He has to go and get cleaned up, and the doctors will have to look at him and set those broken bones and change those bandages, and he'll have to get his strength back, and he'll have to undergo physical therapy to recover from his injuries. The process may take a while, and it will probably be uncomfortable, even painful. It may take a full year before he's 100% healthy and able to participate fully in family affairs, but in the end, he'll take his rightful seat at the family feast. That temporary but necessary recovery period is like purgatory. Earthly life is a spiritual battle. Our selfishness and sins not only offend God, an offense that is forgiven through confession, but they also do damage to our souls. They form and deepen spiritual habits and attitudes that are contrary to the gospel. They wound us, spiritually speaking, and that damage needs to be repaired. Those wounds need to be healed. Every last scrap of selfishness and sinfulness has to be removed or purified. That's what the word purgatory literally means, purification, before we can be free to enjoy heaven where there simply is no selfishness to limit or tarnish the everlasting joy of perfect love. This image helps us understand the Catechism's short definition of purgatory. All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification, so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. The Church gives the name purgatory to this final purification, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. One modern Catholic philosopher has explained it with a simple syllogism. At the moment of death, most of us are not completely purified of all selfishness, even if we are living in God's grace and friendship. But in heaven, we will be completely free of selfishness, completely sanctified. Therefore, for most of us, there must be some additional change, some purification between death and heaven. This is purgatory. The existence of purgatory, then, is not only biblical, historical, and affirmed by the Church's magisterium, but it is also quite logical. The Joys of Purgatory That still doesn't explain what actually happens in purgatory, or how long purgatory lasts. On those points, the Church has remained silent. There is room for mystery and speculation there. All we know for certain is that our leftover selfishness has to be gotten rid of. Here on Earth, we purify our selfishness primarily by our efforts to know, love, and follow Christ more and more each day, through prayer and study, the sacraments, and obedience to God's will. The self-centered tendencies of our fallen human nature make that hard at times. It's hard to be patient, to forgive, to resist temptation, to persevere in doing what's right in the face of mockery or ridicule. Being faithful to our Christian vocation, even through that kind of suffering, is painful, 
but it purifies our love and makes us grow in virtue. The souls in purgatory somehow have to go through the same process. But since they have died and are no longer capable of doing so on their own initiative and by their own efforts, their purification is what theologians call passive. This doesn't mean that it's pain-free. Instead, it's like the physical therapist who wisely forces his patient to go way beyond his comfort zone. The pain is much worse than what the patient would have experienced if left to himself, but the end result is worth it. This is one reason we can call the suffering of purgatory a fire of mercy. Through it, God, in his merciful goodness, creates a way to heal and cleanse his beloved children after they die, so that they can experience forever the full joy of heaven. You've probably already realized the difference between purgatory and hell. Purgatory is painful because overcoming selfishness is always painful. Yet it is also joyful because the souls in purgatory know that eventually they will be able to enjoy the glory of heaven. Their sufferings are leading them somewhere. In hell, there is no such release to look forward to, and those who are there know it. Asking the Church for a Favor Understanding the doctrine of purgatory also helps us understand the doctrine of indulgences, a doctrine that has been frequently misunderstood and often abused. But that doesn't mean we need to throw it away. The abuse doesn't take away the use, as the old saying goes. An indulgence is simply a favor granted by the Church, to which, remember, Christ gave the keys of the kingdom and the power to bind and loose on earth and in heaven. By means of this favor... The Church applies the grace of Christ and the saints to repair the damage and heal the wounds caused by our personal sins. In other words, instead of having to suffer through the necessary purification oneself, indulgences apply the suffering already lovingly undergone by Christ and the saints to the healing of our wounded souls. Indulgences can't free souls from hell, nor can they forgive the guilt of sin— our repentance and God's mercy do that. But they can speed up, so to speak, the purification process for ourselves here on earth and for souls in purgatory. The Church's tradition of granting indulgences is yet another one of the many signs of God's mercy. Through them, He gives us a concrete way to continue expressing our love, to continue doing something useful for those who have died and may be suffering in purgatory. There are two types of indulgences, partial, which repair some of the damage caused by sin, or plenary, which repair all of the damage. The Ease of Collecting Indulgences How do we obtain indulgences? There are three general ways and numerous specific ways. First, let's go through the general ways. A partial indulgence is granted whenever we raise our minds in humble trust to God while performing our duties in life and putting up with life's difficulties, like telling Jesus we love Him when we're up late caring for a sick family member. 
A partial indulgence is also granted when, prompted by an attitude of faith, we devote ourselves or our goods to the service of brothers and sisters in need, like teaching the catechism to children or giving donations to the poor. Finally, a partial indulgence is granted when, in a spirit of repentance for sin, we voluntarily abstain from something we like, like drinking water instead of coke and offering it up for the souls in purgatory. Those are the three general ways. The numerous specific ways of obtaining indulgences include visiting certain holy places or pilgrimage sites, the heartfelt recitation of certain prayers like the Creed and the Angelus, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament for at least half an hour, the devout reading of the Bible for at least half an hour, devoutly praying the Stations of the Cross, and visiting a cemetery to pray for the dead during the week of All Souls' Day. These last four can obtain a plenary indulgence when they are accompanied by complete interior detachment from sin, the reception of Holy Communion, a prayer for the Pope, and confession sometime during the same week. There are many other ways as well, all of them listed in the official Handbook of Indulgences, Norms, and Grants. Conclusion Helping the Family Get Home At first glance, it may seem arbitrary or artificial to attach indulgences to specific prayers or acts of devotion. But it's just one more sign of God's abundant mercy and of the love that links all members of God's family. After all, it is a great act of love to pray and obtain indulgences for our brothers and sisters in purgatory. Hastening their entry into the glory of heaven certainly qualifies as loving your neighbor as yourself. Ignoring them, on the other hand, can be as hard-hearted as ignoring our neighbors here on earth who suffer from hunger or disease. Our journey to heaven is a family trip. Along the way, we may get bruised and battered and dirtied and exhausted, like the young man who went off to fight in the war. The more we help each other out now, the sooner we'll all be able to take our places at the heavenly feast in eternity, a feast prepared for us by the fire of God's infinite mercy. You have been listening to The Catholic Perspective, a resource from rcspirituality.org. Please visit our website and check out more great resources to help you pray, learn, grow, and go. Please join our team of digital missionaries by subscribing at rcspirituality.org.